Now, some people are only listening in on Sunday evenings and not Sunday mornings. I think that includes people from East Leak Evangelical Church. And, and you might be wondering what our system is for preaching, because we were going through some of Luke's gospel for a while. And then you probably wouldn't know that then got moved to Sunday mornings where it had been originally. And everything else has been one offs without really any connection between them. We haven't had a consistent series for a while, but tonight we're going to start a new series. Although I have to admit that next Sunday evening, Alistair is due to preach on something different. But hopefully we'll get started with a new series. And the series is in Hosea. So would you turn, please, to the start of Hosea? I hope you can remember how to find it, as it was read to us earlier. The prophecy of Hosea. If you want to sell a house, they say that you should decorate it in neutral colours, paint your walls natural calico or magnolia. Uh, Some people like pastel shades. Well, Hosea would have nothing of that. No, he would paint, I reckon, one wall darkest black and another scarlet red and another brightest yellow. Well, that seems to be his character, because in bold, striking, shocking terms, here he tells us about God's extravagant love and his fiery anger against sin. He puts both of them so strikingly that, that they're hard to believe. In fact, if I had a name for this series, I think I would call it, Do You Believe in This God?, That's really the reason I've chosen this series. I want us to check, do we believe in this God? We we mustn't try to domesticate God to fit our desires and our insecurities and our personality or our society. We've got to take him as he is, as he reveals himself to be in the Bible. And so we're going to be going through Hosea. I don't think we'll do the whole book, but selected parts from it. And this evening we're going to do Hosea chapter one. Well, first of all, I need to tell you a bit about how chapters one, two and three join together. They run in parallel and they give you different descriptions of the same things. Hopefully about now you're going to be getting on your screen a table that shows you those three chapters. I'll just give you a minute to take that in. I hope you can see in front of you chapter one and two and three going down the columns. And if you look down them, you'll see that in each chapter you've got an unfaithful wife, a punished wife, a restored wife. That's in chapter one. And then you can see it there in chapter two. And you can see it there in chapter three. And sometimes it's Hosea's wife and sometimes it's the Israelites. So chapter chapters two and three are really giving you more detail on the same thing as chapter one. So uh, hopefully the, the table will go now. We're finished with that table and I'm preaching chapter one, but I'm going to be drawing on some of chapters two and three. So let's get into Hosea 1. And first of all, we have the prostitute wife in verses 2 and 3. Verse 1 indicates that Hosea was a prophet for between 45 and 65 years. You can work that out from the reigns of all those kings that he was around during. 45 to 65 years. That's a long time. And verse 2 tells us 
that the events of chapter 1 happened at the beginning of his time as a prophet, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea. Well, that means he must have been a young man. Now, young men might like some guidance from God about who to marry. If you're a young man and unmarried, would you like some guidance from God who to marry? Well, Hosea gets he gets guidance from God. He gets more than a nudge in the right direction. He gets a definite command. Verse two. The Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. God chooses his wife for him. It's a marriage made in heaven. Well, actually, the the translation or the English translation that comes nearest to getting this verse right is the ESV that says, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, because the land commits great whoredom. Uh, Do you expect to come to church and hear that sort of thing? In in the Hebrew Bible, it actually hits you four times with whoredom, 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 whoredom. It's a horrible word. And it probably means she's a prostitute. It definitely means she's dreadfully immoral. Hosea is marrying a woman he knows he cannot trust. He's marrying a woman he knows she will cheat on him. He knows there will be nights he's on his own in bed because she's in another man's bed. Why would he do it? He'll do it because the messenger from God must have God's message grip and in fact consume his life. And God's message was Israel is a wife of whoredom, is a dirty prostitute. God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and he'd brought them to a mountain where he'd entered into a covenant with them. That's rather like a marriage bond, a marriage vow. He would be their God and they would be his people. And he cared for them and he provided for them and he brought them into a wonderful home, the promised land. In other words, he was a good husband to them. Now in Hosea's time, many centuries later, Israel had split in two. uh, Hosea was in the northern half. Well, actually, it's not half. It's ten twelfths. It was called Israel and the south was called Judah. Or it was sometimes called Ephraim because the biggest tribe was Ephraim. And the first king of northern Israel, he didn't want his people going down to Jerusalem to worship because they might end up going back to being under the king of Jerusalem. And so he set up in the north two golden calves for them to worship. And that set the tone for the whole of their history. That idolatry stuck ever since. That idolatry never got, went away. In fact, it got added to. Because they adopted the customs of the foolish nations around them who had these fertility cults. They would worship models of bulls because they thought it would get them fertility in their bodies and in their crops. They thought worshipping these idols would make them prosperous. 
And as is so often the case, idolatry went with adultery and cruelty. The land was full of idolatry, adultery and cruelty. Israel was a wife of whoredom. She'd left God her husband to go after others she thought would be better lovers, give more satisfaction and be better payers. Well, there I've told you in a nutshell some of the history of Israel. But it isn't just history. It's us. It's us as the human race. Think back to Genesis 1 and 2. God made us to be his people, enjoying his company, in close relationship. And he even put us in the ideal home. But in Genesis 3, we cheated on him. We decided we'd rather have that forbidden fruit than have him. And so the relationship was broken and we were thrown out of the home. Because we are the wife of whoredom. It's us as a human race. But it's also us personally. It's us when we choose to sin. It's us when we say, I must have that thing that God says I shouldn't have. It's us when we go to church on Sundays and say, the Lord, he is my God. But Monday to Saturday, now he gets forgotten because our effort and our attention is going into chasing the things we think will really satisfy not singing hymns and listening to the Bible on Sunday. Yeah, we do our bit, but the things that really satisfy, no, they lie elsewhere. When and if we're like that, we are like the wife who has a good husband and he loves her and he cares for her and he goes out to work for her. But he comes home from work one day and finds she's gone. She's gone to Soho. She's gone to Soho because she thinks there are men from whom she can get more satisfaction and more money. So do you realise that's what sin is like? You know, when we confess sin, let's imagine when we're at church and we confess sin and we say the words and they can sound just such a formality and we can say so easily that we're sinners. But confessing sin to God is saying to your husband, I've cheated on you. I'm an adulteress. Well, let's move on from the prostitute wife to, secondly, the jealous husband. This is verses four to nine. Now, at the start of May, Elon Musk, he's the man who owns Tesla and goes in for commercialising space exploration. He had a baby son. Well, his wife, she's probably not his wife, his partner. I think she's called Grimes or something like that. They had this son and they called him. Well, actually, I don't know how to say it. It's going to have to come up on the screen for you. How do you say that one? What is that name? It's not even a word. I don't even know how to say that. Fancy giving a child that name. Well, let's let's take that one off. I have another example. Do you know what Jamie Oliver, the famous chef, what his youngest child is called? River Rocket. <laughs> All his children have got odd names. Or what about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West? They've got a daughter. What's she called? North. <laughs> so she's Northwest. <laughs> I wonder who thought of that one. Northwest. Apparently she's popular in Lancashire. Northwest. 
Well, none of them have names as strange and significant as Hosea's children. Hosea's wife, verse 3 we read, has a son. And the Lord tells him what to name him. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. Jezreel. What's that name? To us, it's just another foreign name. To them, it was a place, a place that was notorious in their history because it was the site of a great massacre. For Hosea to call his son Jezreel was like a German calling his son Auschwitz. To us, we don't get that because, you know, it's just lost in the mists of time to us. But it is like a German today calling his son Auschwitz. This was a reminder to Israelites. Their nation is guilty of bloodshed. Their current royal family did this, but the whole nation is guilty. They can't say, oh, nothing to do with us. We're just peace loving people. God will not overlook it. Verse four, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel, break their bow, in other words, leave them defenceless. Well, Hosea's wife, Gomer, has next a daughter. What's he going to call her? Got a better name for her? Oh, no, she's called not loved. Verse six, not loved. Imagine how that goes down in the playground at school. Where is not loved? Not loved. Come here. Well, then Goma has another child, a son again. What's this one going to be called? He's called not my people. Verse nine. Then the Lord said, call him low am I? which means not my people. Hosea calls this son not mine. Now, this has a real edge to it. Uh, And you'll see it if you look at verse three carefully. Verse three. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then see if you can spot the difference in verse eight. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Goma had another son. Do you see what it doesn't say? It doesn't say she bore him a son. And given verse two, go take of yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. Given he's told he's going to get children of unfaithfulness, there's a good chance this boy is not his son. And Lo Ruhamah was not his daughter. And this boy is given a name that reminds him continually every time he hears his name. And we miss it because it's in Hebrew and that to us doesn't mean much. But it was literally not mine. Every time he hears his name, he's being told you are illegitimate. You're not mine. Now, why these strange names inflicted on these children? They represent God's reaction to Israel cheating on him. I could have, we had the first section was the prostitute wife. The second section could have been the strangely named children. But instead I chose to call it the jealous husband because it's not really about the children. It's about God, the husband. And he is jealous of his wife cheating on him. 
This covenant-breaking wife represents covenant-breaking Israel. God had entered into a covenant. It was like a marriage vow. And Israel had broken that covenant. And at the heart of the covenant was this phrase that is, it's like a catchphrase running through the Bible. The phrase is, I will be your God and you will be my people. But they've broken the covenant. And so they are no longer God's people. And it's not just a technicality. God feels this. He's a husband who cares about this. He's a husband who's effectively saying, how can I any more love this wife when, when she's giving herself to other men? You can feel a little of this. You can pick up a little of this feeling if you read into chapter two. Let me read you a few verses from chapter two. Verse two. This is God speaking. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her bare as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Now, there in picture language, we have God God being grieved, angry and jealous. But what does it actually mean in practice? Well, it meant that the superpower of the time, which was the great kingdom of Assyria, was going to invade Israel. And as invading armies do, it stripped Israel bare, bare of her vineyards, bare of her crops, bare of her prosperity. And as invading armies do, it took off her children of adultery captive. And the nation of Israel came to an end. Now, that's history, but these chapters are not just historical. Because they are also telling you about God and how God reacts to those who chase after other lovers instead of seeking their satisfaction in him. Let's think about us today, UK. Possibly the most prominent message from UK churches on the Internet at the moment. Do you know what it is? There's something getting Hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube at the moment that a lot of churches have come together to produce. In fact, 68 churches. It's called the UK Blessing. It's sung by 68 churches that have come together to produce it. And it's taking words of a blessing in the Bible. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And that's obviously right to desire God to bless and keep people. Although I'd say that the words are very misleadingly taken out of context. But then the song goes beyond desiring God would bless to to telling the UK. And they're very clear they are telling the UK this. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. They repeatedly sing to the United Kingdom. God is for you. No, he is not. That's like the false prophets of the Old Testament saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Hosea's message to the United Kingdom would be, call your children abortion. 
because God will bring that massacre down on your heads one day. Call them not loved. Call them not my people because God is against you. And the church needs to be telling the nation God is against you and we must repent. It's not just us as a nation. What about you individually? Are you looking for your satisfaction away from God? Are you cheating on him? And, and whether you call yourself a Christian or a church member or, or whatever doesn't make any difference to this question. If you are looking for your satisfaction away from God, you're cheating on him. God calls you not mine, not loved. And Hosea went to the trouble of marrying a prostitute to wake you up to your danger. To say, you're in danger of God unleashing his anger against sin on you. Wake up to that. Do you believe that God is like this? Is this the sort of thing you expect to hear about God? I saw a marriage video last week. And in this marriage video, a wife described how her, her, her and her husband had drifted apart. And he didn't seem to care for her. And she was lonely and miserable. And in that, she fell for another man. She felt so bad. She realised what she'd done was so wrong. And so eventually, she admitted it to her husband. And he didn't get angry. And he didn't get upset. And that just confirmed to her how far apart they were and how he didn't care for her. A decent husband does not share his wife. And God is a decent husband. He's jealous and he's angry over cheating on him. If you don't believe in a God who is angry at sin, in a God who judges, in a God who is to be feared, in a God who is not to be treated in a light-hearted, jokey way, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. He is the jealous husband. But lastly, we have here also the loving husband. Let's finish with this, verses 10 to 11, the loving husband. In verse 10, you get a sudden change. Let's read it. Verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. We get this without any warning. It just suddenly completely reverses. And the suddenness is written to shock us because we should be shocked. It's this shocking. How shocking? Well, chapter three tells us how shocking. Chapter three. Let's have a look at Hosea three. Verse one. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her. As the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Hosea's wife is, is with another man. And in verse 2 of chapter 3, we read that he buys her back. That possibly means she's become enslaved, as prostitutes often are slaves. And Hosea is to take the initiative. He doesn't wait for her to feel bad and come back. He goes to her and he takes her back. Oh, yes, he tells her to stop playing the prostitute, but that comes after he has gone to win her back. 
he takes the initiative. Imagine Hosea searching the brothels of Soho, finding his wife there in the arms of another man and taking her back, not dragging her back to be his slave, but loving her back to be his cared for, nourished, cherished wife. And that is God. That's a picture of God. So, for example, if you look at chapter two, verse 14, after God has described his jealousy against Israel, so unfaithful Israel, he says in verse 14, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. Verse 23, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, You are my God. It's the most beautiful love song, the second half of chapter two. And it's not by some sentimental man who's who's just infatuated and doesn't realise what this woman's like. He knows full well. And yet he sings her the most enraptured love song. When did this actually happen? Here we've got it in picture language, but when did it actually happen? Well, the judgment we heard about actually happened. Assyria did come in and destroy Israel. When did this restoration happen? Well, yes, the Israelites did get out of captivity eventually and back in their land. They became the people who at the time of Jesus were called the Samaritans. But nothing in the Old Testament lived up to these prophecies. For example, chapter 1 verse 11 says, The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader. Well, that never happened. The people of Israel and people of Judah were never reunited and they never had one leader. You have to wait until the New Testament for this. And when you get to the New Testament, you find in Romans 9 and 1 Peter 2, these very verses are quoted. Hosea 1 verse 10 and Hosea 2 verse 23 are quoted. And the New Testament says the church of Jesus, you, if you belong to Jesus, we are the people of God who were not his people. We are Hosea 1 verse 10. We are the ones God is singing the love song over at the end of chapter 2. We are the ones who were prostitutes, unfaithful to God that he's brought back to himself. And Jesus, of course, is that one leader who unites not just Samaritans and Jews, but Jews and Gentiles and all sorts of people across the whole globe, one in himself. And Jesus, of course, is the bridegroom who died to buy back his enslaved prostitute that he loved. And he brought her back so he could say, chapter 2, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. That's real new covenant language. That's language that only Jesus could say, having died to purchase his bride and to have his bride forever with him. And so now is the time of chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5 explains what's going on like this. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. In other words, the great son of David, the Davidic king Jesus. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. And you may know last days in the Bible means New Testament days, our days, your day. So this book of Hosea, although it is thousands of years old, is no dusty historical record. It's a description of God's love now that you can receive. So do you believe in a God like this? Do you believe that he will love the unlovely? That he will take the initiative and go to seek out the wanderer to bring him or her back. Do you believe that he will take the initiative and woo and win the hard hearted and selfishly callous? Do you believe that he will unite himself to one who has been so unfaithful? Maybe you're aware that's you. Maybe you think, well, there's no hope for me. Oh, no. This is what the Bible tells us God is like. Do you believe that? Do you believe in this God? Well, I told you Hosea painted in bold colours, didn't I? And well, actually, it's not Hosea. It's God's message, actually. And we must not water down how God reveals himself. Don't don't try to mix the scarlet red and the bright yellow into a mild orange. No, take God as he is, because he is so good. My purpose this evening has been to show you God. But in the process, have you seen yourself? Where are you in Hosea 1? Are you still the prostitute, cheating on God, sleeping in another bed with someone else? Or has he won you back? Has he won you back? Have you heard him coming to woo you with his good news of Jesus Christ? And has he won your heart with that message of love? And have you renounced those lovers? And are you back in God's arms? As God's spokesman, can I say about you, chapter 2, verse 1, can I say on God's behalf about you, say of your brothers, my people, and say of your sisters, my loved one. Well, let's pray. Father, please, would all of us be described by chapter 3, verse 5? Would all of us return and seek the Lord? Would all of us come trembling to the Lord because you're a rightly jealous husband and we've been so unfaithful? But may all of us come to your blessings because you're an astoundingly 
loving husband. Father, may all of us know we are your people and you are our God. And you say about us, my loved one. Father, may all of us know that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.